Christmas, here we are, the third week of Advent. The Christmas story doesn't begin with the manger. The Christmas story doesn't begin with shepherds and angels or those wise men or those we three kings that we sang about a little bit ago. In fact, the the beginning of the story, as Matthew tells the story anyway, we skip over the beginning. We hardly ever read the beginning of the Christmas story from Matthew. We don't bother reading through because Matthew begins his Christmas story with the begets, right? He's got all those begets at the beginning of Matthew. From Matthew chapter 1 to verse 1 to verse 17, we have the generations of Jesus' family all the way back to Abraham. Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac beget Jacob. Jacob beget and on and on and on and on and on. Proving what family Jesus belongs to and proving the problem, the promises that flow through him. A few years ago for Christmas, I got, I got Trish one of those DNA kits that get so popular this time of year. She hasn't got me one yet. You know, I, I already know it's going gonna, it's gonna to prove that I was adopted. You know, it's going to prove that I probably left on the doorstep by kings traveling through some royalty from another nation just dropped me off. It's going to prove that. I, I don't need a DNA kit to tell me that. But anyway, I got Trish one of those DNA kits a few years ago, Ancestry.com. You might not be aware of this, but, but Trish's father's name was legally withheld from her birth certificate. Uh, she has no idea who her father was. In fact, it's not just that his name was omitted. It was legally withheld. So someone went to a lot of trouble to make sure that he would not be named there. Trisha's mother died when she and her sister were six years old. She was raised by relatives and, and loved very much, but, but that's a big gap in someone's life, in someone's existence, to not know who their father is. That's, a, that, that, that's that huge feeling of thinking something, feeling that something is missing. Because when we talk about ourselves, we talk about family, don't we? When we talk about ourselves, we talk about relationships, we talk about our own begets, who we beget and who beget us and who we belong to. And so that's essential in understanding who Jesus is and understanding who he is, why he came and how he came to us. And that's why Matthew solidifies Jesus's family history with us at the beginning, beget, beget, beget. But what we've been asking this year, as we've approached Christmas, is the question, what, what child is this? What child is this? Going back even further, before the begets, before the manger, before Bethlehem, even, even before the star, and, and for that matter, before all the stars. And seeing not only who Jesus is, but who He has always been and who He is to us. And so today, we're actually going to be in Colossians Chapter 1, if you want to follow along there. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. If you've got that blue Bible in front of you, it's page 983. If you've got your your phone with you and you've got the Bible app, you can follow along there. You'll see my notes and you'll see our sermon passages there. Colossians chapter 1. So this Advent season, what we've been looking at are the passages that tell us who Jesus has always been. Seeing Jesus in eternity. Last week we were in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The week before, we saw him invading time. We were in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law. Here in Colossians, though, Paul takes us back again into eternity, and he shows us that before the begets, Jesus has always been present. In the list of names that Matthew gives us, they are so important in understanding Jesus' identity. He begins with Abraham who beget Isaac, Isaac who beget Jacob, and then we come to Judah. Judah, the line of kings. And so later we find David who beget Solomon. The, there they are, those great kings that God chose. And the promise was that, the, that God's Messiah would come through that line. That situates Jesus' place in history. It cements Him in time and space for us and in the history of Israel, but, but what about before that? And, and what about us? The, the history of Israel doesn't have a whole lot to do with, with you and me. And what Paul tells us here connects Jesus to all of us. Verse 15, he says of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There are two powerful statements about Jesus's identity in that one verse. Uh, statements about his very nature. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus shows us exactly what God looks like. Now many of you here at the church will remember we used to have a neighbor here at the church. Uh, her name was June. And June was many things. And one of the things that June was, was she was an amazing artist. She could paint, she could draw, she could sketch. She, she has blessed us and blessed others in the community with, with so much amazing artistic work. Fifteen years ago, fifteen and a half years ago, when I turned 40, this church had a little party for me, and someone commissioned June to do a portrait of me in pastels 15 years ago. Now, if you're sitting all the way in the back, this is gonna, you're going to say he hasn't changed a bit. But 15 years ago, June did this. This was me 15 years ago. And i got to tell you something, 15 years ago, it was a dandy likeness. And I loved that tie, by the way. I used to have that in that shirt. I loved that tie in that shirt. But June did that 15 years ago. And 15 years ago, if you had looked at that, you would have said, well, yeah, that's Brett. That's, that's pretty close. I look at it now and I wonder, I don't think I know that guy anymore. I'm not sure I, I recognize that guy anymore. But hear what Paul says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you, if you are afraid that God is angry with you, that He's punishing you, that somehow you have made Him mad, just look at Jesus. And what do you see from Jesus? You see His compassion, right? You see His love. You see His forgiveness. You see His care. You see, his again, His compassion. And unlike June's portrait here, which is wonderful, unlike June's portrait the image of God never changes with Jesus. <laughs> you know, if June were here today, I might ask her to touch this up a little bit. Or maybe I should just touch this up a little bit. I don't know. Try to make it look more like that. Unlike June's portrait of, who, uh, of me, who, who God is, who Jesus is, it, 
It doesn't change. God will always be exactly who Jesus has shown Him to be. He doesn't change. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get cranky. He is always the same. And He always loves you. He is the image of the invisible God. There's another, there's another phrase that's used there. Another phrase that describes Jesus. It's a little more culturally specific, but I think you and I can make the jump to it. He says of Jesus that He is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn. In the ancient world, the custom was that your firstborn son was the heir to the father's fortune, right? Of all the father's estate, the firstborn son is the heir. But it's more specific than that. The firstborn in the ancient world was the father's representative. Anything that the father said, the the firstborn son would say. The firstborn son's word carried the same weight as the father's word. Now, if you think about that, Maybe you understand why the firstborn son in the story of the prodigal son isn't all that happy with his father forgiving his little brother. Because if it was up to him, he wouldn't have forgiven his little brother. But because the father has forgiven him, the firstborn son has to forgive him also. But what does this tell us about Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. In His very nature, He is God. He is the firstborn, meaning He has the authority of the Father. And long before all those begets situated Jesus in human history, He was there. He was there eternally. And by His power and by His position, we can trust that when everything is falling apart, it's Jesus who is holding us together. To go back to those begets again, you know, you look at Matthew chapter one, those those verses there, the genealogy. Not everyone listed in that genealogy is a hero. Not everyone listed is the father of a nation or a king. There are some scoundrels in Jesus' genealogy, just like there might be in yours or mine. There are some scoundrels there. There are some scandalous names there. Rahab is listed in Jesus' genealogy. She's a prostitute from Jericho. There is Ruth, who we just got done studying about on Wednesday evening. Ruth, who is a, an outcast, a foreigner. And there's even Bathsheba, so, so scandalous that her name is not even mentioned. Instead, verse 6 says, she who had been Uriah's wife. We don't talk about Bathsheba. No, no, we don't talk about her. But there she is in Jesus' family. And what more we find you and we find ourselves there. We find ourselves in His care. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So everything that we need to know about God, we see in Jesus. Paul then continues to describe Jesus, not by His nature, but by His actions. Look at verses 16 and 17. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all all things and in him all things hold together now i was being subtle there but you may have noticed there are some key words in those two verses the words all things are repeated four times in those two verses that might be important for us to notice the all things all things were created by him all things were created through him all things were created for him therefore he is before all things and all things hold together 
in Him. All things hold together. A couple weeks ago, Doug and Judy Davis were getting ready to leave church. We were talking at the back door and I was shaking Judy's hand and she said, she said, your sermon said, it's like you must have been listening to our discussion on the way over here. And I said, really, how is that? She said, what we were talking about on the way over uh, really fit well with your message. I said, what were you talking about? She said, dark matter. I said, really, you know, writing to church with a physicist and a chemist, it it's got to, it's got to be some scintillating conversation going on there. You know, so talking about, dark, and if you're familiar with dark matter and, and I'm going to butcher it, Doug, there's no way I'm going to explain dark matter, right? But scientists are always wondering what is it that keeps the universe from just flying apart, right? Because there's so much stuff and it's all just going out there and we've got gravity and we've got entropy and we've got all these other forces at work. What keeps everything from just flying apart and the best, the best answer that they come up with is something called dark matter. You can't see it, but it's all over the place out there. And it holds everything together. That's dark matter. Doug and Judy and I got to talking about dark matter a little bit, and we started talking about some of these big ideas that we just can't wrap our brains around. Quantum entanglement, Doug. I, you know, when we get to heaven, I'm going to spend at least a century or two talking to God about quantum entanglement. You take two particles and you, and you join them here together, and then you separate them by light years, and they're still going to act like they're together. Somehow they still maintain that connection, even though they're separated by, by thousands and thousands of miles. I don't understand it. It's beyond me. I realize I'll never wrap my brain around it. And then Paul says of Jesus in verse 17, and in Him all things hold together. Now that is not a statement of physics. Okay? If you take one of Doug's physics classes and he asks you on the test, what holds the universe together? And you answer, Jesus. You know, great points for creativity, <laughs> but that's not going to be the right answer. I understand that, that who holds the universe together, answering Jesus doesn't get us what the physicists are going to want. But I know who holds my universe together. And I don't know who's holding your universe together when your life feels like it's flying apart when everything feels like it's unraveling it's jesus who brings you the peace that you need those times when you wonder how am i going to keep it all together i can't do this i can't hold this all together myself i don't have the strength i don't have the resources i don't have the mentality to do this it's in those moments you realize that he not only promised to hold you together but he created you to be held together by Him. He created you so that He could hold you together. That He could hold all of us together. You see, it's not just you and it's not just me. It's all of us together. Jesus comes to us with the gift of belonging. Because of Him, we belong to each other. What Paul has shown us up to this point is that if you want to understand God, you need to look to Jesus. If you want to understand His love, His nature, His being, His everything, look to Jesus. He's shown us that without Jesus, everything would fly apart. Everything would cease to be. So as believers in Jesus, as a community of believers, as a church, where does Jesus belong in our lives? Look at verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
You think about what, what all Paul has told us up to this point. That Jesus is actually God in the flesh. That He is Creator. That He is the sustainer of life. That He holds everything together. And then Paul says, oh yeah, He's also the head of the church. That sounds a little anticlimactic. I think I would have gone bigger. I think maybe I would have led with that and, and worked my way up to something bigger. But rather, should we not see that the very same being, the very same eternal being who brought everything into existence, He holds us together. He makes us one body. In His nature as Creator, He has created us for each other. He has made us family. He has given us the gift of belonging. Whether you sign up for Ancestry.com or 23andMe or whatever else is out there, you'll never see that connection that we have listed on that DNA because it's not about our blood, it's about His blood. And I got Trish that DNA kit in hopes that she would find some connection to family. And you know, in the last couple of years since I gave that to her, she occasionally gets messages and occasionally another, another cousin will turn up. Uh, not on her mother's side. And a cousin for whom there is no other connection. And it's been nice to have, to have those conversations. And it's been nice to, to make a few little connections. But, but those, aren't, those aren't relationships. Those people haven't been there for her in those difficult times. You know, she's finding names. She's finding connections. <laughs> she's finding begets. She's figuring out some begets. But those aren't the same as relationships. People who've done life with us. That comes from being together. That comes with being there for each other. That's the gift that Jesus gives us. Verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I think that's kind of an odd phrase, but it's still beautiful. All the fullness of God was pleased. God was pleased to do that. It's an interesting phrase. But I think what we need to hear of it is there was no better way for God to express to you who He is than through Jesus. There's no better way for God to show you exactly who He is than through Jesus by giving you His Son. And then we come to verse 20. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. There's no better way to show you that you belong to Him than giving us each other to belong to. Than reconciling us together. Bringing us together. Making peace here. Making family here. People that we belong to. I know that here in our small town, sometimes we can feel very small. Sometimes we don't know if we're enough in a small town like this. We don't know if we're enough for, for each other. We don't know if we're enough for, for God. But, but what Paul's reminding us here is that Jesus has the preeminence in us. Preeminence. That's a fancy word. It's a fancy word for first place. Jesus has first place. But having first, by having first place in our lives, we're able to give each other the very best of what we have. We share His love. We share His compassion with each other. We have his peace together. We call that the incarnation. And that's exactly what Paul has been describing here in these verses. He's been describing the incarnation. Incarnation, literally God in the flesh. Incarnation, what we sang about 
when we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. More than just God with us, though. God present with us. God one of us. God there knowing our hurts and knowing our pains. God there present in our struggles and also present in our joys. The image of the invisible God with us. And then we come to communion. And what do we hear? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood, the blood of my covenant shed for you, shed for many. And, the, and what we realize is as, as much as we might have to wrap our brains around Jesus as the image of the invisible God, that Jesus is the one who holds all of creation together, Jesus is closer still. This is the one who will never leave you. The one who will never forsake you. This is the one who always walks with you. Who always loves you. And we get to find Him together as we come together. We find Him as the head of the church. As that one who holds us all together. Maybe what you've been through this week has just been a reminder that you need someone who will hold you together. And maybe what we... Come, when we come together with our individual challenges, with our individual struggles, with the things that we've been through individually, we come to realize we need each other. We need each other to come underneath that one head, come underneath Jesus, and be there to hold each other together. I'm going to pray here in a moment. We'll sing our song, and we'll continue with communion. Let's pray. And Father, we thank You for this gift of knowing You and of knowing Your Son. We thank You that You never left us in the dark, but that You've shown us exactly who You are, exactly what Your nature is. You have shown us Your exact representation through Your Son. And, and Lord, we thank You that not only have we seen Him, but we've had opportunity to see Him in each other. And the way we've loved one another, the way we've forgiven, the way we've reached out and, and helped with some, some big hurts, we have seen the image of Your Son in one another. Bless us today as we share this meal together, as we take this bread that reminds us of His body broken, as we take the cup that reminds us of His blood shed. And remind us that this was done for us. To make us one. To make us family. To, to give us begets together where before there would have been none. We love You. Thank You for loving us and including us in Your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.